You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast for the week of January 3rd. Oh, it's February. February something or other. Early February. Yes. Uh, we'll get to the specifics of what day it is in just a moment. First, I think it's important that you know that my name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Final Fantasy XIII. The original or part two? <laughs> I did, I did, I, I did uh-huh. not think about a part nice. two. I was very particular, uh, and I will again reiterate, it is not Final Fantasy XIII, but stay tuned. So how's that? Oh, uh, and since I've been such an interrupting gussy, I'll go ahead and say my name's Jason McMaster, and my game of the week is a not adult film cameraman by the Interactive Girls Club. Good, we dodged that bullet. Thank God. <laughs> and I'm Matt Newt, and my game of the week is not The Witcher 2 Assassins of Kings. Mm. Oh, that's really disappointing <laughs> to hear. <laughs> that should be everybody. I would have to play through Witcher 1 first. <laughs> Actually, Matt, you know what? Uh, as someone who did not really play Witcher 1, I think I dinked around with it a little bit, I played through and was capable of entirely enjoying The Witcher 2. So I don't I don't want to pressure you into changing your mind, but just consider making your game of the week Witcher 2. Just think about it. <laughs> I'll put it in consideration. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit, like I know the story from the first Witcher, and I've played through a good bit of it i don't think i finished the first one but uh yeah two you don't have to be like uh witcher one fan to enjoy two they actually do a really good job of filling you in the oh, story because i'm certain not that <laughs> <laughs> now matt you are uh good friends with someone who has been on this podcast before so you might have been warned a little bit about what you're in for but we have had uh, a buddy of yours who lives in the same town as you, Matt Bo- Boyer, Bowyer. How do you say Matt's Boyer. last name, Matt? It is Boyer. He's got an extra W in there. He should probably just lose, I feel. I yeah. think it depends on where you're from. I don't think anybody in his family pronounces their last name the same way. I can understand uh, their confusion. Yeah. Now, you, of course, I think, uh, no confusion about your last name except for, I want to ask you this, Matt. Do you feel that your last name is A, really tough, or B, really cute? Uh, I would guess it tends to fall on tough, since almost no one upon hearing it ever spells it correctly the first time. Well, it doesn't. There's so many uh, different ways to spell. Yeah, there's so many different ways to spell nude. But there is, like, there's some, I don't know if he's like a Marine or a rugby player, or there's some guy named Newt Rockney. Who uh, sounds really football tough. player? Yes. Yeah, he's one yeah, of those. old old football or, player. Or um, aliens. Exactly. Wasn't... That's the cute version of Newt. Right, Newt. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> so you know right, what? We're right. just Matt. If you don't mind, when when we talk to you during the podcast, I'm going to think of you as Matt, like Newt, like you know, my name is Newt. They mostly call me out. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to think of your last name as that while we do this podcast, if that's okay. Not a problem. That's going to put an interesting take on things, but sure, if that's what works for you. <laughs> now, you live in Kansas City, Nebraska. Am I close? Close. Yeah. You're, you're just a couple states off, uh, one or two, I guess. Kansas City, Missouri. I'm on the Missouri side of the border. And what is uh. Kansas City, Missouri like? Explain to me what a day in the life is like in Kansas City, Missouri. As a guy who lives in bustling L.A., I'm imagining it's lovely and idyllic and a little pastoral. Am I close? 
Kind of, yeah, compared to life on either coast. Uh, I am originally a West Coaster, and as a transplant here, it's all the fun of city living with none of the real rat race stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you work, you are a member of the Veteran of the Foreign Wars, so every day at work you sit with a bunch of old World War II vets and you drink uh, gimlets. Is, is, am I close about that? Uh-huh what i do not quite that's actually uh, a good segue part of my job i work in the marketing department for the uh, veterans of foreign wars and oddly enough we are the youngest department in the organization i myself am uh, a veteran but not actually a member uh it's pretty much i think we range in the department from 44 to 27 so relatively we're the young part of the organization now, why won't they let you in? I, who can I write about that? Because I think that's an outrage. You should be let into that organization. I, ironically, the person you write is me. <laughs> All right. Uh, give, me, give me your address after the, the podcast, and I'll, I'll pen a strongly worded letter. Sure thing. Just the basics of it. Uh, the Veterans of Foreign Wars, most people know about like VFW posts in their hometown. It's an organization for veterans of the U.S. military who have actually served overseas in a foreign conflict. Uh, for eight years, all my service was stateside. So while I work for the organization, I'm actually not eligible for membership. What, what does someone get who's a member of the VFW? Uh, well, there's a like any membership organization, there's a whole lot of benefits. Uh, Free towing. You know, <laughs> kind of a lot like that. Uh, yeah. you know, AAA for the vets. So, something like that. We do have a whole lot of discount programs, insurance, things like that. But the majority of it is if you've got vets in the community that need help with things like VA claims and whatnot, we've got service officers who are trained to help them out. Uh, our local posts do a lot of community service work for the veterans community. It's just you know, a real good thing I'm proud to be a part of. Now, can I tell you, growing up in uh, – not growing up, but where I went to college in Arkansas, we have these these things. Uh, I personally think they're abominations, but we have these things called dry counties. And what uh-huh. that means is yeah. you cannot buy liquor in a dry county. Uh, and now in, in practice, that's no big deal. You just drive to the border, and, and that's where all the liquor stores cluster yeah. up. They're sort of huddled up waiting for you to get there, and they freely give you your liquor, and you just carry it back, and you drink it. However, one of the fringe benefits of VFW members in this dry county were that, hey, the VFW can serve liquor. Right. Uh, right. That's one of those weird things you find. Exactly. As a membership organization in most states, especially those states that have dry counties, they're exempt from a lot of those liquor laws. So you, even though you said you were eight years in the service? Yes. Even though you were eight years in the service, if you were go- to go to, uh, I think it was Yale County, Arkansas, and say, hey, I want a beer at the VFW, they would be like, we're sorry, Matt, your service was all stateside, you can't have a beer. Would they do that to you? It really depends on where you go. Some posts are members only, some are open to guests. Uh it really, you know, honestly does depend. But as uh, most posts go, they, especially in dry counties like that, they're members only. Okay. Well, hopefully, I can get some. I can bring about some sort of change with the strongly worded letter that I'm going to write to this Matt Newt fellow that you told me about. Uh, I hear he's a real tough one. <laughs> uh, so, Matt, we have asked you to join us today because we understand you, like me and Jason McMaster, are into video games. Um, now and then. Now and then, good. Uh, let me ask you this, and I hate to put you on the spot like this, but I also love to do it, so I'm going to do it. Here we go. Matt Newt, what would you pick as your favorite game of last year? 
Favorite game of last year. Oh, gosh, now i got to actually think of what came out last year. Yeah, exactly. I put you on the spot, and now we're going to watch. Are we we talking games that I played last year or games that came out last year? Yeah, games that came out last year. Like, I don't – people who are like, my favorite game of the year was something that came out five years ago, and I finally got around to trying it. No, that does not wash. That gets disqualified. (laughs) It has to be something that actually came out in 2011. Uh. All right, I- I'm going to have to completely cop out with this one and go with Skyrim. Oh, it's not a bad choice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's the popular choice, but i got to admit, I, and this is my confession, I am the world's worst person at keeping up with new games. Uh, I tend to play video games really slowly, and I hate having a backlog, so I'll finish a game and then go, all right, what else has come out recently? Oh, there's a list of 25 games I haven't played. And on the one hand, it keeps me from having a huge backlog. On the other hand, I tend to miss everything until about a year after it's come out. Well, you, did, you had no problem jumping onto the Skyrim uh, bandwagon. No, I am to... Uh, a lot of people just made a huge Bethesda fanboy. I've loved nearly everything they've put out. So Skyrim was a day one purchase for me. What is the weakest game Bethesda has ever made? Oh, boy. The weakest game Bethesda has ever made. Oh, gosh. That one, ah. Uh, yeah, I got a couple answers. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to actually say with that one, uh, Morrowind, the third Elder Scrolls. Whoa, really? I, I actually think see that. that one come. <laughs> Game-wise, here, here uh, we just had this discussion the other day with a friend of mine. Uh, I think that Morrowind is technically a better game than, for example, Oblivion. It is. But I think Oblivion, I would put higher on the little hierarchy just because of the sheer amount of community mod support for it. There wasn't well, a whole lot of the – there wasn't the same level for Morrowind, I think. No, I mean, probably not. I mean, I, you know – the thing is, though, how can you not say, like, Battlespire or... <laughs> yeah, I I would. I've heard so much bad about it, but I haven't actually played it firsthand. So. Well, fair enough, then, you know. Um, or can we uh, can we include Published? Uh, well, probably. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, I... I well, that's actually... If you mail. include Published, I mean, I, I can go off on that one. <laughs> I guess, you know, I, again, that... I've heard enough about, but I hate to be the guy who jumps in slagging on games I haven't actually played. Because yep. what was terrible? Um, Some of us were not fond of Rage. Yeah, there you go. There's another Cinemax joint. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's All right, what, well, yeah. uh, well, Matt, I, uh, that was a very safe choice. That's a good choice. Uh, you came up with it pretty quickly. You sound pretty self-assured, so... I'm not going to try to talk you out of it, uh, but I am going to say I'm still disappointed you didn't pick Witcher 2 as your game of the week. Yeah, it's very disappointing. Uh, we'll oh. see what you have to pick instead. We're all very disappointed I, I in it. I think it is my game of the week and totally try and fake that I've played it. Oh, I, I love that level where you do the thing with that one guy, and then I don't want to give away any spoilers, but it's awesome. Oh, the thing with the one guy is great, Matt. The thing with the one guy? Oh, yeah. That's how I've made my entire career. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, it was great. A plus, nine. Well, Matt, so that's your game of the year. Let's get down to a little format here. Let's talk news. Uh, We have each picked a news story of the week, and we are going to pit them head-to-head in a steel cage three-way death match to see which news story wins. All right. 
So, Jason L. McMaster III, why don't you start us off and give us your news story of the week? What do you have to throw uh, into the battle pit? All right. What I have is something I discovered from a post on No High Scores. Mm-hmm. Because that damn Bill Abner's so lovable. Um, the King Arthur II, the role playing war game, Chug Chug. Uh, post of Bill's links to a thread in the game. Hold on, was that Chug Chug? Were we all supposed to drink at that point? Oh, no, I don't think so. Though I will say, after podcast drinking games, (laughs) firing up uh, King Arthur, you know, because at first I read it. I read the the thing, and, and, you know, Bill's like, uh, I have a Core 2 Duo, 3 gigahertz of 3 gigs of RAM, and 6800 HD radio, and all that. Uh, and the game runs in the overworld map at 8 frames per second, and in the battle map at, like, 12 to 14 frames a second. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, having King Arthur 2 myself, but having not really played it, uh, I was like, I gotta see this, because, you know, I don't have a core 2, but I have, a quad, I have like, the generation back up the quad core, plus I have more RAM and a better video card, because that's who I am. That's right, Bill. <laughs> anyway, um... <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna say something about that, um, but it, yeah, I tried it and it's just it's just as bad. So uh, in a, in his post, he links to a post on their forums where there's quite a bit of talk about performance issues, and um, this is what kind of blew my mind. Uh, people were talking about getting twenty to twenty four frames per second, uh, and one of their developers replies with. It is not bad performance and not too low. If it gets below 20 frames per second, then it is bad performance. 24 frames per second is what a human eye sees as fluid, and you watch the films in the cinema with 24 frames per second. Uh, Do you go to the cinema again and again and see bad performance and horribly low frames per second? Where you need a higher frame per second are mainly the action games, particularly if you play them in multiplayer. Generally, our our aim was to set the game to 24 plus frames per second. So... I just kind of have an issue with that. A game, uh, th- there's a difference between movies and games, the, the way they're rendered. Um, movies can get away with it because it, it gives like a certain feel to it that you don't particularly get when playing a game. Mm-hmm. I don't feel it's more nuanced the less frames I get. <laughs> I don't feel uh, it's, it's cooler looking. Now, can't and, you just turn down all the detail... And then get a faster game, a smoother gameplay experience, smoother frame rate. Somewhat, I believe, but not a ton. So, uh, but, you know. mm-hmm. so it sounds like this is a sort of a, as a writer, I've just learned to use this phrase. I'm not exactly sure what it means, but I'm going to roll this out. It sounds All like right. a, a poorly optimized engine. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, actually it does, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, one being that you've used too much uh, video memory, or uh, or you're trying to uh, push too much through the pipeline. But the, the point is that I have a, a Radeon 6970 with, like, a 512 or a gig of RAM on it. That, that shouldn't be a problem, like a strategy game. Right. If I can play Total War... Uh, with everything turned up, and I can tell you all these other games with everything turned up. This game is not that intense graphically, right? So it's 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 really it's really confusing to me. I just I, I it it really strikes me as weird that they're defending the choice to have a low frame rate. Uh, well, when you say they, these are the developers, right? Well, yeah, this is a uh, NeoCore developer, NeoCore Kate, responding to a ton of different stuff. 
Well, they can't very well. I mean, they've got to have some response, it sounds like, and it just sounds like a kind of a BS rationale. Uh, you know, what What are the poor guys going to do? They've got what sounds like a crappy engine, and this is the way they're going to sort of cover their butts. And uh, yeah. you, you have to be crazy to, to say that you're shooting for 24 frames per second. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I'm not totally crazy about the whole thing, but... Uh, uh, about well, I am kind of crazy about graphics, but um, the uh, that that's that's just not a, that's not a, that's not a goal. Right. Yeah, that's that's not a benchmark. It just doesn't make sense. No. Uh, aside from the sort of performance problems, uh, what would have you spent much time with King Arthur too? Or you you know what? Maybe I'm trumping uh, your game of the week. No, you're not. Um, okay. I have a, I have, I've spent the prologue with it. Okay, so, so you've I, just sort of scratched the surface a little bit, and uh, yeah, have you played? Uh, I haven't. I fiddled a little bit with the first game, and uh, no, I, I'm not really qualified to speak with any authority about the King Arthur games. I know they're they're basically total war clones, but with more sort of magic and fantasy and uh, sort of a crazier unit mix and an RPG system, right? Oh yeah, and I don't know. It's kind of like the RPG mixes you go through. A few pages of an almost choose your own adventure, except like most of the times you have two choices that I've seen so far, and they both seem to like give you the other option as well. So I, I don't understand part of that part, but it just looks kind of like Total War. Now, are you doing a review of this, McMaster, or are you no. just sort of okay, just out of curiosity, no, you're poking at it, All right? Yeah, I, I saw Bill's comment, and I wanted to take the chance to uh, make fun of him if he was wrong, and no, uh, he wasn't. All right. Now, Matt Newt, you mentioned uh, playing with mods in uh, Sky or in uh, Oblivion, I think. So Oblivion, yeah. So it sounds like you are a PC guy, correct? Uh, I'm kind of platform agnostic when it comes to gaming. Uh, a lot of folks, and I, I know I'm going to get slammed for this one. I picked up Skyrim on the PS3 mm-hmm. for the sole purpose of. The fact that I've got a really big, nice HDTV I wanted to play on, as opposed to my tiny little flat-screen PC monitor. You know what, Matt? So I'm um, high-fiving you, one, for being platform agnostic, and two, for being able to completely defend a PS3 purchase. High-five right there. Uh, yeah, indeed. Now, having, yeah, having, was... having mucked around with PCs, uh, what is the worst technical experience you've had? Like McMaster and talking about Bill Abner's experience with uh, the King Arthur 2 engine, what is the worst PC technical experience you've had to deal with? Oh, gosh. Uh, worst PC experience I've had to deal with would probably be the first PC I bought myself back in uh, 97 or so. Mm-hmm. Uh just a cheap little Walmart uh, pre-made box, and I had decided, oh, there are things, there are games I want to play, mm-hmm. and I picked up a uh, what was the oh I picked up Carmageddon back in the day, real fun little driving game that I wish they oh, do yeah. a re-release on, and of course this cheap little two hundred dollar Walmart box couldn't play it it bogged down on the loading screen and i found people who knew more they said oh you need a good video card so i went oh okay i'll go out and buy a video card i knew nothing about hardware at the time and decided okay well i'll just install this how hard can it be uh yeah i 
for starters, you ever seen what happens when you try and jam a PCI card into an ISA slot? Very it's nice. kind of the oh. square peg round hole thing. Oh, no. And I, all I figured was, oh, okay, well, there's this little uh, plastic separator in between all these pins. If I just use some wire cutters and snip that out, this should fit just fine. Oh, yeah, it, it didn't go well. It wasn't pretty. So my second computer that I bought the next week, uh-huh. I made sure it actually had a, uh, a decent video in it. <laughs> so did you ever get a chance to – did you ever get Carmageddon up and running? Does this story have a happy oh, ending? Okay. Oh, that's a good game. I, I, I just actually found the CD-ROM the other day when I was moving and found out that, alas, it actually will not play on a modern machine. I can't even get it to run under DOSBox. You know what? There um, so if, are, anybody out there, if anybody out there has a hint to how to get Carmageddon to work, send me a PM on the forums, and I will be your best friend for, like, 72 hours. Here's how you get Carmageddon to work. Are you ready for this? Oh, Hit no. Me. You download a game called Zombie Driver. Oh, yeah, that's everything has told me. <laughs> um, uh, all right, so... You know, uh, or, are you an iOS fan? Like, uh, do you have an Apple anything? I do, indeed. I've got an iPhone. I'm... Uh, um, In fact, I almost played... picked an iOS game for my uh, game of the week, but no. Yeah, um, have you played uh, Death Rally? No, but it's been tempting. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. That just uh, Carmageddon made me think of that for some reason. But it's, I, that's I really mean. neat. Uh, all right, so uh, that is McMaster's news of the week: is that King Arthur two chugs? It does. I will go next. So uh, my throwing into the news of the week battle pit. Here's a little bit of news for you guys. Uh, according to a, a post I also saw on the forums, uh, Ubisoft actually uh, posted a status update for their uh, authentication <laughs> servers. Uh, Ooh, Ubisoft that's... wants. <laughs> this is the best story. Sorry. <laughs> well, Ubisoft wants you to know that next Tuesday, if you want to play, uh, if you want to play either Hawks Two. Settler 7 or Heroes of Might and Magic 6, you're kind of, you might be out of luck. Because next Tuesday, they are, they're doing some server shenanigans. It sounds like they're switching servers. And those three games will be unplayable. Uh, now, this isn't really a big, I, a big deal, in a way, in a manner of speaking. Sometimes games go offline. Sometimes World of Warcraft has their little maintenance update or whatever. Uh, how, however, uh, this is a byproduct of Ubisoft's... DRM, they're they're yep. they're always on online authentication. Right. Uh, that these games, Hawks Two, Siddler Seven, Heroes of Might and Magic Six, predominantly single player games, uh, you can't play for that day because Ubisoft wants you to be online with most of their games. Um, yep. And and again, like I say, in a way, it's not a huge deal. But if you object to the principle of their DRM, this is just indicative of the kind of the kind of problems that that brings along with it. Uh, and I just, when I heard this, uh, I'm a huge fan of a game they've released called Anno 2070. Uh, Anno 2070, Ubisoft yeah. has said various things about, yes, it works offline. No, it doesn't work offline. Like, they've been a little <laughs> unclear. And they're even when you boot the game up, there's a button you can press that says online mode or offline mode. So you yeah. think, well, you know, if my Internet is ever out, I can play this way. But for whatever reason, and I've tried this many times, you can unplug your your LAN cable and you can click offline mode, and you promptly are taken to a screen where you have to sign into your account, which naturally does not work because you are offline. <laughs> so you are stuck right. looking at a box asking for your account name and password with no way to get past that box. 
Uh, oh, that makes my brain hurt. It really, I, I mean, and the thing is, Anno 2070 has no reason. It's got some online features, but other than the DRM issue, yeah. there's really no reason for it to constantly be online. And there and really I, isn't. I mean, uh, having played it a little now, there's there, you don't do anything other than look at like what their stock market thing or whatever, and. Well, they can track that data. Like, you don't need to constantly be online if they want to track that right. data, which is some cute, clever stuff. But you don't you don't need to always constantly be online for that. It's clearly a piracy protection issue. And oh, Ubisoft yeah. has gone back and forth with this issue. And it's just so disappointing to see that they're still at this point, that games like Settler 7, which has been out for a while, you know, that they still feel the need to require constant, even single player, to require constant online authentication for that. And it's just... It, in a way, it's mind-boggling. I mean, I understand the piracy issue is complex, and there are many different approaches to it, but uh, just that Ubisoft is still doing this just uh, surprises me. Uh, so how do you guys feel about that? Did you, did either of you have plans next Tuesday to play Heroes of Might and Magic 6, for instance? Next Tuesday, I think. Doesn't Kingdoms of Amalur come? No. What comes out next Tuesday? Something de- decent. So probably not. No. All right. All right. I'm actually shocked that they have a Heroes of Night and Magic 6. I, Heroes of Might and Magic is one of those games that I only play to get soundly beaten at. And so finding out there's yet another iteration of it is more like me going, Oh, I want to play. Oh, wait, I'm horribly bad at this. The servers are going to be down? Shucks. Hold on, hold on a second, Matt. How can you possibly get beat at a Heroes of Might and Magic game? Because it's all about, are you not assembling your killer stacks correctly? Apparently not. uh, I think part of it is also uh, I am heroically bad at real-time strategy games or even turn-based strategy games like Heroes of Might and Magic because I tend to look at those – when I think of turn-based strategy, I think of your civilization-type games, and my, my brain is locked into the long game. And when I try to play Heroes of Might and Magic that way, my, my brain's still saying, oh, I've got a castle, I'll build up my castle, I'll get a couple little partisans here and a couple little pikemen here, and let me see what's in this next hex over. Oh my god, 24 bone dragons, and there I go. Yeah, no, you got to go straight to the griffins, Matt. <laughs> that, oh, yeah. that, that's what I'm told. It's uh, I'm told there's a thing called turtling, and I'm not very good at it. <laughs> uh, so does that bother you, Matt? Are you okay with constantly being online to make sure that you're not a filthy pirate. Do you mind if a when publisher that, expects that? See, when the original thing started, I believe what was it Assassin's Creed 2 that was the first one that Ubisoft did that required the always-on DRM. Uh, my opinion on that was, I don't care, I'm going to get it for a console. And yeah. everybody kept telling me, well, that no, it's the principle of the thing. And I kind of understood, and I said, well, in this modern day and age, who isn't always online? And apparently the answer is Ubisoft. So, uh, oh, hello. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> Ubi burn. <laughs> so I can really see where a lot of the objections come in. On the one hand, yeah, you got to do something about the rampant piracy issue. But mm, at the same time, what are you going to do when it's time for Heroes of Might and Magic 12 or whatnot, and you've still got your old guys trying to play Heroes of Might and Magic 6? Are they even going to have those servers still running? It seems like it was a good concept but a really bad execution. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, Matt, because I do think as someone who, like you, does enjoy playing a, a console game a lot, I like my big TV, I like my couch, uh, how, in a way, we can kind of remain insulated from a lot of this crap. Uh, 
Like, it does seem like one of those things that, oh, it's those PC gamer dudes have to deal with that more often. Exactly. You know, and honestly, you know, part that's part of the reason I play... Part of the reason I do play more on my console than anything is I, I hate the fuss of a PC game most of the time. That's why I use Steam for almost everything. Uh, I had the same issue with that until I tried to play an EA game online, and I thought, oh, I'll just buy it, throw it into my console, and I'll be ready to go. It took me almost uh, 90 minutes and two calls to customer service to get it working. So I, you know, the the irritation with verification and all this security stuff is not solely PC exclusive. Console gamers have to deal with it, too. Well, that's CA, and they challenge everything. I mean, we all know. <laughs> all right, so, Matt, uh, what, then, is your news of the week? We have uh, McMaster telling us that King Arthur 2 is chugging, uh, me telling you guys that you can't play three Ubisoft games on Tuesday. What do you have to throw into the battle pit, Matt? Uh, mine is also one that uh, I became alerted to uh, because of a forum post. It's the whole kerfuffle over this game called Triple Town. Have you guys heard of this? Uh, <laughs> Triple Town is uh, a little casual game put forth by a developer called, I believe, Spry Fox. And I think it started out on the Kindle. And they decided they were going to make uh, a deal with another game production company called, I believe, Law Apps, uh, and to say, hey, let's move this forward to other platforms, Facebook, Google, uh, eventually an iOS release, and uh, Law Apps, this other development company, signed an NDA, and then back in December, I think, decided they were going to break the NDA, break off all their contact with the original uh, game maker, and release what basically is just a cloned game, Yeti Town. It's just Triple Town with the serial numbers filed off and a new paint job. Uh, very obviously, hey, we just took all your game mechanics and design, made our own game with it, and we're going to do a mass release of it. And now Triple Town developers are suing them. It's getting into this big just argument back and forth about what constitutes the intellectual property of a game, what can you actually... Uh, you know, consider as a game mechanic that can't be copyrighted. And a lot of the thing, uh, both games, of course, are uh, free to play, but I believe Yeti Town, at least on iOS, is one of those freemium games where it's free from the App Store, but you can do in-app purchases to get more things. It's really just this ugly mess that I would not have paid a single bit of attention to except for the fact that... It really just seems like you almost tend to think, especially uh, being around a place like Order 3, that people tend to have this idea that indie game studios somehow deal on a higher ethical standard than the big, <laughs> huge, megalithic studios. Oh, and no, then you God. get. Yeah, right. And then you get these just epic incidents of douchebaggery like this. And I'm saying this is. And I took a look at the game to say, what's this all about? It's kind of just like Farmville with a new paint job. It's a casual game, and it's causing all this uproar. I just look at it and I say, God, guys, really, this much over uh, a little free-to-release casual game? Come on. Now, so real quick, uh, a couple of things. I don't think either of them is 
uh, they both have the same business model, if I'm not mistaken, right. and that you yeah. can play, you can take several turns up to a certain limit, but if you then want to keep playing, you have to pay, because uh, I, I know Triple Town, uh, you got to a point where it basically turned into a $7 purchase, and they came down mm-hmm. on the price to a $4 purchase, uh, and I don't know what Yeti Town is doing in that regard, but they're also, I, I think it's important to point out, they're not quite Farmville clones, Matt, like they're they're kind of more, to me, yeah. not even match three, they're more like Puzzle builder slash, uh, I puzzle mean, slash. Like the, 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 the little in-app Facebook type games. They're they're all farm built to me. So <laughs> ah, I see. Well, well, I think that that's a that's kind of a little unfair to what what they have done here because I, I don't know about Yeti Town, but certainly Triple Town has a really smart kind of puzzle design where it's like a puzzle yeah. meets a city builder. Uh, and right, which is what I noticed when I played it, I thought you know this is a great little game, and the it just it, it hit me that when you have a uh, this other group that just cloned it, released it, I thought, you know, there, there's got to be some kind of, even if it's legal for them to do, because they say, you know, you can't copyright game mechanics. It's well, just, it's quite illegal what they did, though. I mean, I'm pretty yeah. sure they're not, not going to win that. I mean... Yeah, there, with, there's got to be something about it, because you're right, it just seems to me that who does that? Who thinks they're going to do that and still have any kind of business reputation left? Mark Zuckerberg. They, they, yeah, but they don't have they don't have business reputation per se. <laughs> they have negative business reputation. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's uh, yeah that see that's the, one of the biggest problems. Like I, I'm uh, working on releasing several apps in the next few months, and uh, one of the things that scares us the most is. You can literally change, uh, get onto your iPad, um, grab one of the app files, and change the extension from whatever it is to .zip, and you can open it as a zip file, and there's your code and stuff like that. So uh, it's really uncomfortable you know, how easy it is to rob someone of not even just the concept, but their actual work. Um, so yeah, it's it's actually really um, kind of shitty situation. Well, yeah, fortunately, the uh, the gameplay design in Tiny Towers is sacrosanct. I'm glad to say that nobody has stolen that. So yet, there's always me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so a uh, good choice, Matt. Uh, Triple Town versus Yeti Town. Uh, I think you've actually won this week's News of the Week contest. Maybe. Oh. Yeah, awesome. You know, like, I, I don't know. I'm, th- I'm thinking that the uh, the the King Arthur two chugging is just yet another one of those. You know, console gamers are going to say, you know what, you wouldn't have this problem if you just got it on an Xbox. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's they also what you do on the Xbox. Pretty soon. <laughs> I think uh-huh. that's also what you get when you play uh, these. Is King Arthur two an Eastern European developer? I'm, I'm uh. just. I'm gonna, I, I have to imagine it is. Yeah, yeah I'm just going to make a horrible, borderline <laughs> offensive generalization and say that's what you get. Uh, yeah, uh, Ubi servers—that's what you get with Ubisoft. But there's no reason we should expect the kind of stuff that these uh, triple, these Yeti Town people are doing to the Triple Town developers. So, uh, Matt, you win this week. Congratulations. Oh, Jimmy. <laughs> yes. Now we go to games of the week, and guess what, Matt? As the winner. You get to go first. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Uh, my game of the week, again, which I got back into thanks to a forum post, uh, is actually what I am calling my favorite MMO uh, out there right now. And this is going to you know, probably cause some consternation, but I'm going to say it's Minecraft. 
Mm, not familiar. That's like one of those free-to-play puzzle games on the iPhone, I believe. <laughs> yes, kind of like that. No, it actually, uh, I had had Minecraft sitting on the shelf for a while until I saw uh, that the multiplayer Minecraft post had started being active again. And uh, someone was starting up a new server for some of the uh, quarter to three folks using a mod pack that added a lot to the game Uh industry, generators, electricity, all sorts of fun things. And I thought, you know, I've always wanted to see what this is like in multiplayer. And it has added an entirely new level of addictiveness to the game when you realize you can interact with other people and it becomes almost more of an MMORPG than something like World of Warcraft or The Old Republic, in my opinion. Okay, wait. Now, hold on a second. As, as I am probably the most Minecraft layman here uh, in that I've fussed around with it a little bit and just sort of like, was like, eh, whatever, and whined about it and then haven't touched it since. Uh, when you talk about, like, interacting with other people, how, how does that work? Well, uh, when you're playing on a multiplayer server, you have your little chat window at the bottom. It's kind of like uh, a small IRC chat room that you can see people just chatting back and forth as you go, and the ever so often pops up a message, you know, so-and-so tried to swim in the lava. And when... That, that, by the way, that was McMaster, I bet. Yeah, <laughs> that, that does happen. <laughs> oh, it happens all the time. Well, <laughs> when... When you're dealing with something like Minecraft, where you have this just incredibly large map that so far maybe 10% has been explored, and you kind of have to set down some ground rules like, okay, when you start out, don't just you know start digging a quarry right in the spawn area. Uh, don't go into where other people have set something up and steal all their resources. Basically, you know, just like a standard rule of don't be a jerk. And, you know, Tom, as you know, that's absolutely just so easy for everybody to do online. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's well, pretty easy. Yeah, the, the thing that I'm loving about it is that everybody has kind of gone their own way with it. Some people have set up actual nuclear reactors. And that's one of the things that the mod added, the ability to build yourself your little nuclear power plant and these incredibly just intricate automated farms and production facilities. Okay, oh, this, you're blowing my mind. Hold on a second. Let me back up real quick. So, so first of <laughs> all, uh, when you say that it's a multiplayer server and there's people in the chat window, do you see other little blocky dudes walking around? Like, yeah. is it you're like you're all there if at the same right. time? Hmm? And yeah, I run into uh, I used to run a Minecraft server, actually, for quarter to three for a while. Um, it was pretty fun. And now, what is the, uh, like, normally in a game you interact using combat, but of course Minecraft is more of a builder thing. Like, how are people, are people, like, collaborating and carrying their bricks together and making pyramids or stuff? Like, what, what in practice does it actually look like when you see other people in the game? Well, you're seeing uh, one of the neat things about Minecraft is you can also download skins for uh, your character, so not everybody is looking like the same exact blue-shirted blocky dude. Uh, and you know, so but you're seeing other these pixelated blocky dudes with their little name above their head running around. And one of the neat things that uh, on quarter to three, he's a fugitive in the game. He's Halibut Barn. Don't even ask me to explain that one. Uh, he's gone through the the whole instead of setting this up where there's he's got in the post a link to where you can download the uh, mods and everything but there's actually an online map you can see of all the world that's been explored where everybody's built their things up and you can really just 
some people, for example, have made like a little tiny cabin here, and they put a mine over here, and they've set up this area and planted rubber trees so they can harvest them, while other people have made, oh, look, it's a giant skull made out of marble. It's kind of, everybody's gone their own way, but you have almost like emergent gameplay that's come up. Uh, one of the first things I did when I realized that the area I tried to set up my little base in was really just lacking in any kind of resources, I said, all right, I'm going to make myself a boat, and I'm going to head out north in the ocean until I hit land, and I'm going to settle there. So it had me going out. I believe I actually went in this little boat for a day and a night in game time before I hit another piece of land and crashed my boat. And the first thing that I found was a beach, and all the wildlife was trying to kill me. These little bouncing, exploding cactus things called creepers were everywhere. Oh, yes. Uh, creepers are awesome. I ran in, in one direction. There was nothing but coastline and beach, and in the other direction, nothing but impassable desert, almost no trees, the wildlife trying to kill me. And I thought, oh, my God, I found Australia. <laughs> so... The first thing I immediately decided I was going to do was, well, what do you do when you find an area like this? You imperialize and colonize the shit out of it. Well, and yeah. immediately I decided that I was going to declare this was Mighty Newt Colony, and we were going just completely imperialism to exploit the natural resources we found. And so far, uh, it's always been kind of a hilarious thing where I've tried to start a number of projects and then realized... I don't have the resources for it. First, I said, I'm going to build a bridge all the way back to the mainland, and I'm going to get a rail system going. Oh, wait a minute. How, many, how much am I going to need to build all these rails? Oh, never mind. Okay, I'm going to build my own nuclear power plant. How much uranium am I going to need? Oh, n never mind. So I've got this little area where there's kind of like the land of half-started projects. And in uh, one of the threads on another forum, there's a couple forums that are taking part in the uh, the multiplayer game. I saw that somebody had posted, you know, screenshots, and they said, oh, here's the undersea rail tunnel we're digging out to Mighty Newt's Colony. And my first response was, wait, what? You're doing what? And I found them in game. I said, hey, you're digging a tunnel out here? Would you like to come visit? Sure. And it became this big cooperative endeavor that... And this is where almost like an RPG element comes into it. Everybody has kind of set their own goals... Whereas in a game like World of Warcraft, you are limited to what a quest giver gives you. And everybody can go through the exact same thing. And no matter what you do, it never really has a persistent effect on the game world. With multiplayer Minecraft, you're designing your own goals. You're basically giving yourself your own quests and challenges and actually seeing what you do have a permanent effect there. And it just hit me that obviously you couldn't do this with... Uh, 100,000 players on something like World of Warcraft or the Old Republic or Rift, but getting to do a multiplayer world where your actions actually have a permanent effect that everybody can not only see, but it stays there. I mean, if you're going to start messing around and fiddling around with TNT in your cabin and you blow your entire store of resources to Kingdom Come... It's gone. You can't wait for the server reset. You can't go back to a save point. You've basically... You're dealing with a persistent and easily destructible world. And the first thing I thought was, man, if there was actually a massive MMO where you could do that, where, uh, what was it? Uh, Lord of the Rings on, 
Oh. Yeah, Lord of the Rings Online, I thought, was great when it added in player housing. Uh, I thought that was one of the coolest things that a an MMO had ever done. Uh, I remember back in the day when Ultima Online let you have player housing, but Lord of the Rings Online did it in a much, much more rational manner where there wasn't property wars and whatnot. But I always thought it was cool that you could decorate your house and it could kind of be your own little place in the world where things you put there stayed there and you got to define how it looked. With Minecraft... That's the entire point of the game. And I thought, that's really just... It's something that was lacking in the very static, non-dynamic MMO games that last year was kind of my year of trying out every MMO on the block, trying them out for about two months and then saying, nah, I'm bored. For exactly that, it seemed too static. I tried out uh, The Old Republic when it was released and played it for a month and just said, eh, it's not going anywhere. But now, let me ask you this then. Uh, in Minecraft, what level are you? Uh, right now, they, in fact, they just added the ability to actually gain XP and gain levels. Oh, I totally thought I was going to get you and that there would not actually be a level you could be in Minecraft. So you're pulling my leg, right? There's not actually not, levels in Minecraft. No, no, no. There are now. Granted, I haven't figured out what they're used for. But you actually, when you kill a zombie or a skeleton or a spider or a creeper, you pick up little experience orbs, all crackdown style, and fill up a little XP bar, and you get a little number that shows what level you are. I think I'm running around at level 11 now. now is I don't this know a if bot? that's good. Is this a mod? No, that, is that's actually no. basic. That is actually yeah. part of the core game now. All right. You now, have to uh, eat food and stuff now too. Is there mm-hmm. an ETA on when the underground rail tunnel will reach Newt Island? <laughs> I actually don't know. I'm waiting for an answer on that one. Uh, I, I've seen where they started it from, but I've got no idea because on the map, the map only shows what's visible from above ground. It's like a ah. Google Maps type interface. And they said, oh, it's subterranean. And I'm going, well, then I can't tell where it is. I have no idea where you're going to come out on my island. You know what, Matt? I think they're pulling your leg. I don't think there's Either any Either that or they're coming. finding an invasion. Oh, that's no, a good no. point. Defend your spoils. Don't let them come over and take your stuff. That's how it always starts. It yeah. does. <laughs> All right, so see, that's one, that's one of the other great things about it, because uh, multiplayer Minecraft is one of the easiest type games to be a griefer in, to just, you know, do oh, nothing yeah. but stir up shit and wreck other people's stuff. Because in a game where everything, every little block you can punch until it explodes, and the thing is, this has already popped up in almost like a role-playing type atmosphere. Uh, a number of people have said, if you're going to build something big, at least try and make it aesthetically pleasing. And there are always going to be the people that decide they're going to build a 10-story tall concrete dong or something. Well, somebody, and I can't remember who on the server it was, built this giant staircase just going into the sky, built their little cabin up there, and then poured a bunch of buckets of lava on it so you end up with this gigantic lava waterfall coming out of nowhere. And this just hellaciously out of nowhere, just sticking out in the middle of the wilderness, this giant lava waterfall eyesore. Yeah, that's awful. And that, that, Matt, is why you need a Minecraft Homeowners Association. 
<laughs> well, we, we try to say, okay, guys, you know, that, that looks kind of cheesy. And so somebody, and we're still not sure who on the server it was, started leaving messages anonymously on one of the forums claiming to be part of Fun Club, like Fight Club, and even using a little Unabomber sketch avatar, saying that if this aesthetic abomination is not removed, actions will be taken. And everybody kind of went, oh, ha, 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 somebody's being funny. Well, uh, the owner of the lava waterfall logged in and suddenly found out that somebody had gone in and removed most of the floor of his house, which was about 40 stories up in the air. So he logs in, looks down, and immediately gravity takes hold. You know, down he goes yep. into the pool of lava. There's a word for that, Matt, and that word is terrorism. Absolutely, and that's exactly what happened. We suddenly realized, holy crap, we have like an aesthetic terrorist running around in the game, and everybody's going, who is this? And half of us are going, I don't know, but it's actually kind of cool. And so we're realizing, it is, exactly, it's like a homeowner's association with the nuclear option. Yep. You one know, man, keep, one, keep your yard in there. Yep, one man's homeowner's association is another man's aesthetic terrorist. So precisely, and that see that's one of these great things that again, as as a perfect example of emerging gameplay, comes about when you get a lot of people together who, and this is one of those things where luckily we've got you know cool people doing it. Everybody kind of agrees to play along. Now there are so many things that could go wrong with it. Again, you could have someone just deciding to go over into your house when you're not there, steal all your resources, and the next thing you know, you're coming home to a bunch of empty chests, and your neighbor suddenly has this big diamond-encrusted castle out there, and you're going, wait, that looks familiar. Mm -hmm. But thankfully no one's doing that here. If there were some kind of, I don't know, it's almost like the social aspect of a multiplayer game like that incentivizes good community, because there are those people who just, half their fun is ruining the experience for other people. Uh, in the early days of MMOs, I remember back in Ultima Online, you had your PKers, your player killers. That that all they me. did was just, yeah, <laughs> I knew somebody was going to be there. It's one of the reasons <laughs> on any uh, MMO I never play on a PvP server. I am Care Bear to the core because I just hate the frustration of working towards something and then some 60th level orcish douchebag shows up and just wallops me on the head with the Sword of Annihilation and takes all my shit. Uh, it's self-defeating, uh, but yet when you kind of put everybody on a level playing field, if I'm playing on the server and uh, McMaster comes over and I find, hey, wait a minute, you know, he's taking all the crap out of my base. Okay, he's got to log off sometime. And oh, yeah. it, it's kind of a mutually assured destruction type thing. Now, this aesthetic terrorist, if we knew who the hell he was, <laughs> it'd be great. But no one's actually seemed to catch him in the act. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of become almost like this emergent subplot. We want to find out who this guy is. So some people are saying, what if we build something that's just really obtrusive and ugly and then try and hide there and see if he shows up. Right, it's kind of like, operation. You know, yeah, the sting exactly. operation like, with it's, a neighborhood it's like staying watch. Up all night, it's like staying up all night waiting for evil Santa. Yep. Only instead of presents, he's bringing a pickaxe and he's going to just show up and wreck your shit. Okay, so that would Matt, make Christmas a lot more fun. Uh, yeah. I, you take first shift. I'm going to take second shift. McMaster's on third shift. We'll catch this guy. We'll get him. I know Absolutely. it. Uh, I don't know if I want to catch him. I'm kind of rooting for him. Well, you know, and don't let that that tunnel come out to your, your newt island, and you won't have to deal with that. Because as soon as that tunnel comes out, you know what's right behind it? Gentrification. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, there, there is no give us your tired, your poor on the shores of the colony. No, no, no. We like our isolationism. We like our, our nice borders there. We're going to build a fence. If it works for America, it can work for you. Uh, Matt, exactly. what if someone wanted to check out this server? So there's a thread on quarter yeah. to three? And there is a the thread in the games forum. Okay. What's that? The mod is, I believe, uh, called TechIt. Uh, it's there's a it's a series it's basically a package of different mods that are included and in the thread uh, fugitive has posted a link to his uh, web page where you can see how to install it uh, you can send him a PM to get on the whitelist because you have to be whitelisted to actually get on the server hmm. uh, well, and sense. it's it's a pretty uh, open group and so I encourage anybody who really likes it show up. Yes. Wait a minute. This aesthetic terrorist's name then is on a list. We just have to rule exactly. out which one. Right. It this is, is this is oh. something that has actually allowed onto the server. So by process of elimination, we could figure out who it was. But it's more fun to almost try and do it in character, as it were. Well, yeah, I was going to say because, like, if you know the times that the guy was not on, then you can at the server console, uh, which I've run. Uh, you you see when everybody logs in and logs out. McMaster, you are a virtual Sherlock Holmes. Well, I try. Are <laughs> <laughs> right, you so that- virtual Watson, if you like? Uh, elementary, my dear McMaster. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. So Minecraft is Matt Newt's game of the week. Uh, specifically, this uh, this modded server. It sounds pretty awesome. Nuclear power, though. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, <laughs> it, it, there's there's apparently so many ways it can go wrong. Exactly. You, you have you can build a reactor. You have to worry about cooling it. Apparently, uh, as I found, you can make generators. You've got they've got uh, schematics for solar panels and water mills, and different types of generators will output different voltages of power. And if you try and take a high-voltage generator and plug it right into a machine like, say, an electric furnace that takes low voltage, mm-hmm. something's going to explode. Yep, yep. Uh, meltdown, so China syndrome. Precisely. So someone like me who has absolutely like no electrical engineering background, this, this these mods were obviously designed by a bunch of EE geeks somewhere, and Everybody's saying, oh, well, you use a transformer to step down the voltage, and then you've got to worry about a repeater here, and you put a battery box here. And I'm just like, okay, okay, nerds, draw me a diagram. <laughs> so I've been, I've been trying to look up wikis and whatnot online for all this, because I know if I try and build something like this myself, there's going to be a gigantic gaping crater where my wonderful colony used to be. Yeah, and I don't think that's going to be aesthetically pleasing. Absolutely not. No, no, no. The last thing I need is to blow up the ocean or something. All right. Uh, so, McMaster, what do you got to, to beat that? If Minecraft is um, Matt's game of the week, what do you have to top it? Or do my you? My game of the week mm-hmm. is, uh, oh, it's not going to top it, uh, is the Rider White DLC for uh, Dead Island. Mm-hmm. It is uh, hands down one of the worst DLC I've ever seen. No, come on. Did you not play Genki Bull for Saints Row 3? No, but are, I can get Rider White like the tarot deck. Mm, what? No. Yeah, I don't uh, know what that. What is what is the Rider White tarot no, there, deck? There, uh, there's a very famous tarot deck called the Rider White or White uh, Tarot deck, and I was thinking, it, is there some? I again, I'm so far behind. I've actually not played Dead Island. Oh no. Uh, what, no what is I, so horrible? DLC. Well, okay, Dead Island's a game based on co-op experience advancement 
skill advancement, and melee. So, Rider White DLC is single player. No, come on. I'm dead serious. Single player. No co-op. Wait a minute. Well, at least I can advance my characters, right? Oh, no. No skills, no experience. Uh, and it's mostly gun based. <laughs> Can well, you imagine free, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Just as much as any other DLC on the 360. Oh. So uh, I actually do not know what it cost. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm incredibly curious. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a uh, you know, and the thing is, I want to like it. I uh, I really do because. I like Dead Island, uh, but oh, it's ten dollars, of course. But um, it's uh, well here. So here, McMaster's when I've read about it, uh, I like it sucks that it seems to be losing some of the core values of Dead Island. But it seems to me, and you can let me know if I'm wrong about this. Like the 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 main appeal of it, or the way they're marketing it, they're selling it, the way they're saying, "Hey, this is what you get if you get this DLC." Is you see the storyline from the bad guy's perspective. Uh, do you feel like there's much merit to that clay? Like, does that is that much value there? Is there anything? Worthwhile there? Um, I will say this, and I don't know if it's correct or not, but I felt when I finished the DLC that it was a big cliffhanger for their next game. Mm. So basically, it kind of like it spells some stuff out, it explains a couple of things that you didn't know before. And uh, it puts a little bit more perspective on it, but it's such an incredibly frustrating experience to play through that um, I don't know. And, and the, the trailer for it was really great. And what kills me about it is, is in the trailer, uh, it's doing all this stuff like, what choices will you make and stuff like that? It, you make zero choices. <laughs> it, it's linear. There's like... <laughs> I, I don't understand what that's about. And I've seen, like, a lot of people uh, commenting about, like, hey, maybe that means you'll get to make some choices and you'll get to do that. But no, not at all. Yeah. Uh, so you pay, you pay $10 for a DLC pack that departs from the entire aspect of gameplay, is as you're not fun to play, and turns out basically just being an ad for their next game? Matt, I don't want to hear like any give crap about horse armor ever again. I think you have a future, Matt, in thinking up DLC for games. <laughs> you you seem to have nailed it. That's exactly what they do. <laughs> um, you know, the funny thing is, too, that their only other value add is they added new schematics or whatever plans for weapons. Mm-hmm. And you have to, I mean, I guess you can use them on Rider or whatever, but to get the actual use out of that you would have to play through the co-op game which if you're buying this DLC you probably have a few times Ooh. so that's really the only thing that it adds is like some new weapons you can can craft and no uh, new locations do you go to any cool new places no it's the same places okay honestly yeah it goes uh, you know what's awful about oh my god you know how uh, just a handful of zombies is really tough uh, in Dead Island Mm-hmm. Well, they constantly swarm you with them. Hey, that's good news. I like swarms of zombies. Who doesn't? Yeah. Well, you might not now, uh, because they're just as tough, mind you. <laughs> There's just a guns. ton of them. Ah, yes, oh, yeah. the guns. They're so yeah, if you got a swarm of zombies, guns would be better than melee, right? Yeah, it's just that it's not a shooting engine. 
You know, uh, it just uh, the guns don't feel good in that game, and it just uh. I, I don't know. It's just something about it. It's it, everything about it's just. Well, what, part of what I love uh, is that the whole combat model in Dead Island is based on melee and stamina and sort of watching your your distance from any given zombie. There's this sense of spacing that you have to establish. Uh, and I, I get every sense that this game was created in a culture that's not America where everybody doesn't have guns. Like This, this is their unique, I think they're German, their unique German appreciation for what a zombie apocalypse would be like in a non-American, in, in a country that doesn't have these liberal gun rights. Uh, right. So they definitely designed something about, hey, what if we had to fend off zombies with our fists and baseball bats and swords? Uh, and, yeah, and there's a certain charm to that too. It's actually it's a huge uh, draw to the game for me. And uh, losing that and adding the guns, which I just feel they don't do well, uh, and the fact that their reloads take forever, which fine if you're going for that, uh, and you you run out of ammo constantly, even though there's a lot of ammo around, and uh, it's just. Uh, there's so many times I restarted certain areas like ten or twenty times on on normal, and uh, it's just that that shouldn't happen. Right. You know, uh, it's uh, it, was, it was one of the most frustrating uh, experiences uh, I've had in a well, while. You, you know what you do get out of this, McMaster? What's that? Two hundred achievement points. Do you? Because I I can't figure out what the hell the achievements are in it. I, I don't know if I've. I've got some achievements now, some new ones. Well, isn't that, that's how DLC works, is that they can add 200 new points, so you can boost your gamer score uh, by 200 points. Yeah, I, and I hope, because uh, I, I don't know, maybe they didn't add 200 points, who knows. But uh, I could be wrong on that. Uh, but yeah, other than that, um, I, I'm never going to play that expansion again. Um, so, yeah, this, yeah. So your game of the week, a game you don't like. A game that I want to warn people against. Uh, my review uh, will be going up within the next 24 hours on Game Shark, and um, you know, go view it there, please. Um, you know what, McMaster? Let's, <coughs> let's get down to brass tacks. What score did you give it? I gave it a D. Wow, a D. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Yeah, Bill doesn't. Uh, you know, or Game Shark in general doesn't like to go below a D unless the game is actually broken. And unplayable, so uh, I I, uh, I wanted to go lower, as I did with a few other titles. And uh, uh, since you can load them, I guess <laughs> in a way, you know. So Matt, now I'm curious because you outed yourself. Why would you know the name of a of a tarot deck, like tarot cards, right? Tarot, yeah, right. Uh, general trivia. Uh, so Matt, if, are you mixed I, up? Let me hold on. Are you mixed up in the occult? <laughs> Define a cult. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think the closest I come is being a D and D geek. But no, uh, I had a gal I dated back in high school that was absolutely just nuts about the tarot cards, the I Ching, all these things. And I, as you do when you're in high school, I thought, well, let me try and learn about this. And yeah, kind of interesting. Uh, Never really kept up with it, but that's the first thing. When he said uh, uh, Ryder White, I thought, well, that's an interesting kind of correlation. It sounds similar enough. Maybe they're trying to make some kind of really urbane and uh, intellectual reference there. And then, uh, you know, LC for Dead Island. No, they're not. Maybe they are. We don't don't know. They might be artsy types. We don't know. 
But yeah, that uh, yeah, DLC's right. Maybe the girl that you dated in high school, Matt, is involved in the development process, for all we know. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> Maybe she drinks blood like a vampire without warning. That would be awesome. Oh, uh, McMaster, if- for saying that, I'm going to need you to make a... McMaster, I need you to make a sanity check right now. Roll. Yeah, against who do you voodoo, bitch? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I got a uh, 19, uh, so I should be safe, unless it's the opposite version. No, you're good. One. You're good. Okay. Uh, okay. Matt, I need you to roll the dice, make a quick sanity check. What'd you get? Uh, my sanity check, oh, it's a four. You're good. No, 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 it's good. It has to be low. Oh, wait, wait, you're rolling D20s. I suck as your DM. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> All right, Matt, you are uh, insane and gibbering, and you're in the insane asylum. Uh, your character, I'm going to need you to tear up your character sheet right now. I'm sorry. All right, I'm going to go post in PNR for a bit. <laughs> oh, that, that would do it. <laughs> I guess exactly. Uh, all right, so, so far we have a bad DLC and a good Minecraft game for Games of the Week. I am going to come in somewhere around the middle. Uh, here's a game that I am super ambivalent about. Uh, I... I Put it in just on a lark. I was like, I'm going to start this game. There's no way I'm going to play it. I'm just going to start it and see what the beginning is like. 25 hours later, I think I hate it, but I'm not sure. (laughs) 25 (laughs) hours of I think I hate it? (laughs) I think I I liked it, and now it's at a point where I hate it. So here's the deal. This is not my normal game. I'm I'm out of my wheelhouse here, a little out of my element. Uh, this is an, one of those exhaustively long JRPGs that is not really my bag. When I started playing Final Fantasy XIII 2, and Matthew, you and I had uh, a fellow on the podcast who talked about this a little yeah. bit a couple weeks ago. When I started playing it, it was just out of curiosity. Uh, it starts. It, it does, however, start going pretty quickly. Like it starts folding in cool systems, and it's showing you new stuff. And you know, every 15, 20 minutes, there's like a, a new little bit that it's teaching you about, and you you get the impression that you're jumping into this really rich world with a lot of cool stuff to play with and lots of places you can go. And for a while, that bears out. Uh, the whole gimmick with the storyline is that it's time travel. So you go to, instead of just like a different level, you go to a different location at a different time. Like maybe the same location has three instances of itself uh, set on different timelines at different times. And that's a cool conceit. Even if the storyline is this this silly sort of JRPG, teenagers saving the world stuff, and that's basically what it is, uh, this conceit really does push it nicely. Like, hey, here's this place at year five, here it is at year 100, here it is at year 400, and you jump back and forth. And so the early parts of the game, it's unfolding this conceit and establishing the world. And that, for a new guy like me, that's pretty cool. I'm digging that. So we get to this point where uh, I have to, uh, and, and as you, all these little different areas that you unlock, whether it's a different place or a different time period, you have to find a key to get there. So as you're playing, you're like, hey, here's a key that takes you to this world at year 200. And then you find a key that takes you to that world at year 400. So you're finding keys, they give you to new, take you to new levels. That's kind of cool. So I get to a point where I am told uh, that I now need to find these five doodads. And these five mysterious doodads will then get me to the next level. So at this point, these five doodads are scattered around in different worlds at different times. And it seems to me that, hey, this is a great reason to send me back to other areas that I've already been to and to let me sort of explore uh, around in these areas that I've been. Like, that's a great conceit. Go gather these five things. 
So I'm running around in these worlds that I've been to, and I'm slogging through the random combat because things are constantly jumping you, and you have to do a combat. And that's pretty straightforward. The, the combat in this game is, is pretty quick, gratifying enough. Um, but I can't find a single doodad. I know where to go to find them, and I don't see any of these doodads anywhere. And it's getting really frustrating because I know where I have to go, but I don't see the doodads. And I did something that I'm not proud of. I went online, and I looked up the location of the doodads. I know. I hear the disappointment in your sigh, and I deserve that disappointment. I, I own it. Fair enough. But what I realized is that, and I didn't know this, and there's nothing in the game telling me this, the freaking doodads are invisible. There's, you cannot see them. They're like, they're, they're, you have to look for a little sort of faded movement. It's like a translucent effect. There's no place the game told me that the doodads were going to be invisible. So that right off the bat, I'm like already, I'm really, I'm a little angry at the game. I'm like, you could have at least prepared me for that. I spent so much time looking for these things. Now I've gone online. I've printed out my stupid little guide. Uh, and if, if you had just told me to look for invisible things, I, I might have braced myself for that a little better. Uh, and by the way, let me tell you guys, if you go online and you Google, you know, like Final Fantasy walkthrough or something like that, it takes you down this rabbit hole of really skeezy websites. I mean, it is like it's like searching for it's like it's like searching for, you know, doing a search for Sasha Gray or something like that. The places you end up when you type well, in yeah. Fantasy walkthrough. <laughs> Good Lord, I've probably got. Anyway, that yeah, you just go to so many junky, skeezy sites when you do that. And, and another thing too is when you look up this stuff, you are you are confronted, and it's hard to avoid this. You suddenly have thrust in your face spoilers about other places you're going to go and characters and stuff like that. Like I now know things that I didn't want to know. I was like, thanks for ruining that. I, I wished I hadn't seen the the name of this particular guide or walkthrough or this section that I'm going to go to later. Uh, and you can't really welcome to the internet, Tom. But not just the internet. Like I shouldn't be on the internet. I should be in the game. The game should teach me this stuff. I shouldn't be. Oh, able to... you know, absolutely. That that was the problem I had with playing Final Fantasy 13. Okay, that was one oh. of the problems I had with playing Final oh, Fantasy yeah. 13. Other than the fact that 25 hours into Final Fantasy 13, you're not out of the tutorial yet. Right. But so I, I'm gathering. I I have not yet picked up uh, 13 2. I'm still on the fence about it. 25 hours in, you're actually into the storyline and getting things moving along well. Well, no, because here's what's happened. So I've got the location for these doodads. I now know they're invisible. There's further frustration, too. Like, there's one doodad I see on my little cheat walkthrough. It's in this room that I couldn't get to because I thought one of the things that happens is that as you change the, change the timelines and go back and visit other areas, you can change the state of a world. So I know there was a doodad in a room that was closed off to me that I couldn't reach. And I was thinking, okay, I just have to affect the timeline by going to other worlds, and it'll unlock that room eventually. So one of the ways that you move around to different worlds is some of the keys that you find are they're basically like wild keys. They go to any one of the optional doors. Uh, they're a way that, that it makes the game nonlinear and that it doesn't dictate the order that you go to different worlds. So trying to unlock this one room, I used up all of my optional keys, and there's only maybe like seven or eight of them in the game. I had three or four. I used them all up trying to unlock this optional room. It didn't happen. The stupid thing was oh. still closed off. I couldn't get to the invisible doodad. So again, I go online, and I'm looking up, how do I find the Zeta Graviton core at Brescia Plains? You know, I'm typing in all this stuff into the Google, and it turns out 
and again, the game did not tell me this. If I had known this in advance, I wouldn't be so frustrated. I have to get on a chocobo, which is a giant chicken, and I have to oh, jump. Yeah. I have to jump over something. I was never told that I needed to chocobo jump into a room to get an invisible doodad. I did not know that, and I could have saved myself a lot of time and a lot of grief if the game had just some, at some point said, hey, chocobos help you get to places you couldn't otherwise get to. I didn't know that. So here's the problem, Matt. You say, yeah, I'm 25 hours into the game, the story, I'm interested, I'm wanting to find out what happens next, but I am now at a dead end because to get the fifth invisible doodad, I need one of those optional keys to go to a new timeline. However, because the freaking game made me think I needed to use my keys in other areas to change this one timeline, I don't have any more optional keys. And there's only a couple left, and I don't know where to find them. So I can go online and get a list for all these optional keys, but now I'm dealing with the fact that I don't know where I found these other ones already. You know, I've now got a list of eight optional keys in the world. I've found six of them. I don't know which six I found because I didn't remember where I picked these stupid things up. And the way the game lists the things that you find, I can't correlate it to the to the, the facts and the, the walkthroughs I've downloaded. So I'm in this really frustrating instance where I feel like the game kind of betrayed me and I'm stuck at a dead end where I need to find one little thing and I have no convenient way of figuring out where in the freaking world it is um so it's just an example of you know they do a lot of things right there's a lot of cool things in it certainly it's piqued my curiosity i like the layout but i just feel like i've been shunted into this really discouraging quasi dead end because of negligence on the on the part of the game design so i think i think i might be done with it I don't know. I'm still stuck on the giddy fact that now we have Tom Chick actually happen to admit he knows what a chocobo is. <laughs> I love because if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, you are not a Final Fantasy guy. I'm not a JRPG <laughs> guy at all, and it's been specifically yeah the Final Fantasy stuff. I've just been out of the loop for that so much. And here's the thing: I've been so there's been a, there's a thread on thirteen two on quarter to three that I've been following, and I've been talking to a few of my friends who like JRPGs now, and maybe you guys can advise me on this. I'm kind of really curious about maybe finding a copy of and playing Final Fantasy XII, which I've heard is a really good one. XII's good, yeah. I really like XII. I think that and Dragon Quest Eight are two of my favorite JRPGs. Uh, they're just fantastic. Well, I might have to try XII, just because I, I'm, I'm really intrigued with a lot of what's going on, but I... And I really wanted to, because I, I want to write a review of it, and I wanted to get to the end and really talk about where it goes and the storyline and blah, blah, blah. But I just don't know that I have it in me to just power past this little dead end. And uh, yeah, but, but you're right. I do know what a chocobo is. If you guys have any questions about chocobos, let me know. I can probably help you. Now, I'll say that, like, I liked Final Fantasy 13 to an extent, but it's also a game that just wears on you. 12, 12 is fascinating. That's one of the more interesting systems i've seen um well i've heard really great cool things game. about the combat system uh yeah. is it, it is it non-linear because i really do like the jumping around time conceit at least for what it adds to for how it makes it's, the game seem less linear just 12 it's not non-linear in that sense but it's very much more open world it's than, huge uh, too it's giant yeah um I get the sense that I, I get this feeling of of giantness from 13 too but at this dead end that I'm at now, none of that is any good to me because I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, but it's just really frustrating that there's so many barriers thrown up to do this one 
thing. So all yeah. the giantness in the game right now is completely it is of no consequence to me. I couldn't care less about it because the game I just feel is kind of built poorly. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't. Maybe I'll try twelve. Here's another thing that I didn't realize uh, until someone told me last night. Did you guys know that Final Fantasy twelve is for the PlayStation two? Oh yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. To and be honest, going yeah. going from thirteen to twelve because I actually played thirteen before I played twelve. Trying to go back. The graphics threw me because I had honestly not hooked up my PlayStation Two to my big HD TV, and when I did, the the gra- it, the graphics took some getting used to. I, I was yeah. almost really tempted to see if I could hook it up to my tiny little monitor so the graphics would at least look proportionally <laughs> better. I mean, well, Tom, you have uh, one of the old PS3s, right? One of the first runs, like yeah, yeah I'm I definitely do. I'm definitely backwards compatible, so I can yeah, it um, it upscales some. Right. Like uh, and it, it looks better on those, um, but yeah, that and uh, actually most of the good PlayStation RPGs are yeah, PS2. Like I said, Dragon Quest Eight. If you ever see it, PS2, fantastic game, same company. So. Well, here's what I want to know: Why can't I then play Twelve on Final, Final Fantasy Twelve on my PSP? That's what I want to do. Can I do that? I don't know. I don't think so. Ooh. That'd be cool. Have you played with the Vita or Vita yet? I have not, but I wanna I wanna play. You know, I if I were to dig into one of these super long Uber JRPGs, uh, I'd love to have it on a handheld. So yeah, that's uh, that's one thing. Like I know Dragon Quest uh, went to the DS with nine, which uh, I, right. I like as well. But um, but it's no eight. You're saying no eight, eight's a better game. Uh, nine's weird because it has like a bunch of cool like weird multiplayer functions. You can just pop in and out of friends' worlds and stuff. But um. Other than that, yeah, it's fantastic. Right, right. Uh, so, uh, uh, Matt, did you say you might be like thirteen two? Is something you might play? I don't know. I'm, I I had initially just shied away from it because thirteen left such a bad taste in my mouth. You talk about thirteen two being grand and open world, and that just kind of blows my mind because. 13 was the <laughs> very linear. definition of a linear game. It was like JRPG. Rails shooter combined almost. You literally could not move off the path it gave you. You went from screen one yeah. to screen two to screen three, and maybe you got to take like a little side trek for ten feet to a safe point. But and that just again, what you're saying, oh, the the concept of the world and the backstory and the characters were all interesting, and it was a really great game, except for the fact that you had to play it. So I thought, you know, oh, thir- I will say this, like 13, like, yeah, it was very linear. I didn't mind that so much. I didn't like the game when it did open up. That's like the time, the problem I had, because I kind of liked the combat system and it was just telling a story or whatever. But then once you get to the open world parts, I don't know, it, it just really lost it, it, me. Yeah, where where it gets you to everything on the rails, and then you go literally off the rails, and oh, yeah. you have all the, the the hunting missions and all that. That just kind of lost it for me. At that point, I was almost going, okay, I like where this story's going. Take me to the end game, and yeah. it literally drops you in the middle of a field and says, okay, go. Yeah, but and that's, that's two, awful. I don't know. It, it it might be on the list if uh, if Tom's given it a uh, a definite maybe, I guess. Well, I, I, so how do you guys feel about this? Like, what? How do you guys feel about? Because I'm always ambivalent about this. 
someone reviewing a game without finishing it, like 13-2, based on the fact that like I get to this really frustrating part and I feel like I'm done with it. Like in a situation like this, do you feel that it's fair for a guy to review a game or should he just wash his hands of it and walk away? I think it's fair. And I'll tell you why, because 25 hours is freaking plenty to know if you're going to like a game or not. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole point. Like, yeah, I mean, what game changes after the 25 hour mark? Maybe there's one or two. Well, I would. Maybe it's (laughs) maybe because then you're still not out of the tutorial. But but prior to. Prior to 12, I'd say, you can actually finish all the previous Final Fantasy games in under 25 hours. Hmm. Well, yeah, and I wouldn't pretty, say, pretty... And, I, and again, I'm not, like, I, I don't, I'm not guessing that it would change, but I, I would like to be able to talk about things like what happens to the characters and the story and whether or not there's a payoff for the, the time travel stuff. I feel like there's so many uh, important things I don't yet know about the game that I really would like to, to find out. Uh, and so, I, yeah, if I do review it, it will be with this sense of, well, you know, I, I washed my hands of it. I, I just couldn't take it. I couldn't make it through. Uh, but I just feel like there are important things to talk about that I just haven't discovered yet. Uh that I feel would be an important part of, of what the game is trying to achieve. So I, I don't really know the answer to that. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, you I, might open up like a world of hurt if you say that you didn't finish it. And, you know, that just asks for people to complain. But I don't think it's unfair, personally. In a role-playing game, it's like, you know, I've had to review about a million MMOs. And what what am I going to do, finish it? You know, it's just how it goes. Sure. Uh, well, you can look at it from this perspective, Tom. Would you feel comfortable reviewing a beta of a game that's obviously unfinished? Well, I think what it all comes down to for me, and I've been in all these situations before, is it, it's a matter of transparency. Like, as long as you're very clear up front, it's sort of like I got a lot of guff for a Soul Calibur Five review that I wrote uh, because I'm not a hardcore fighting fan. And a lot of times fans of fighting games want people who are really accomplished at those games to review them, but I feel perfectly within my rights to review it as long as I make it clear in the review that, look, I'm not one of you. You know, I'm strictly a dabbler. I'm very casual, as long as I come to it from that perspective. So if I were to actually write my review at this point of Final Fantasy XIII 2, I would feel comfortable doing that as long as I'm very clear about, look, I didn't finish this. It frustrated me. I stopped here. And it would be the same, Matt, with reviewing a beta. Like, hey, I've got this pre-release version of a game. Uh, I don't know if it's done yet, but here's my experience with it. Uh, and that is simply because, for me, a review is all about what is my experience. And as long as I don't try to misrepresent my experience, I, I think it's mostly fair game. But, again, I'm just right, so- Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, if you're if you're going into it saying, "Hey, I put 25 hours into this game. Here's where I got hung up, and here's why I got hung up." That honestly, to me, from from my perspective as a reader of a review, tells me more than someone who just says, "They didn't tell me I needed the damn chocobo. This game sucks. F minus minus would not buy again." You know, that's just going to tell me, okay, the reviewers giving it. A, re- a score because he's pissed off. But if you're saying, hey, I had this trouble, I felt like I was running into walls, it didn't tell me this, uh, you know, that that I can understand. That lets me go, okay, I'm obviously going to need to get some outside help for this. That's going to affect how I think the game, if it's worth my, my money for it. But as long as you're saying, here's the experience I had, that's what I want to see from a review. Let, I want let me to see how both, you experienced it. Uh-huh. I want to ask both of you guys something. So did both of you get all the way through Final Fantasy XIII? No, I played about no. 50 hours, and I was done. I put oh. about the same in. Oh, well, what I was going to ask then is, 
So, so had, like, aren't you curious what happens at the end? Did that not matter to you? Oh, sure, in a too. way. Uh, but, like, you know, if a game... I don't know. Uh, if I... I can't just force myself to play something if I hate it. And I've had trouble with that in the past, trying to finish stuff, even shorter things that I don't like. I mean, I end up finishing them, but it's, it's hell for me. Uh, yeah, I, I came so, into the same... Hmm. I came from the same approach. I really wanted to see what happened with the story. Where is this going? These are interesting characters. I want to know what happens. But it felt like the worst grind to get there. It seems like when they put 13 together, it was a collection of cutscenes that told a great story, and then they had a completely unrelated group of people trying to put a game together to link them all. And I felt like, okay, I can't do another eight hours of grinding to get to the next page. It's like reading a book where every time you change paragraphs, you got to stop and do 30 push-ups. That's kind of what it felt like. So I just said, okay, you know what? I'm done with it. I'll go read a summary and watch some YouTube videos. And, oh, okay, it seems like a really cool story. You know, great, happy with the way it ended. I'm glad I didn't have to play another 82 hours to get to that point. Right, right. So you did do that then. You know what happens at the end of 13. You don't feel like... Oh, yes. Right, okay. I, I don't feel that I was cheated. I felt that it was in the process of telling a great story, which out of an RPG, especially a JRPG, that's what I want to see out of it. The difference being, like, Western RPGs, you are the prime mover and you decide how things progress. In a JRPG, you're kind of just following along with the narrative. And I thought it was a really good narrative. I wanted to see where it went. So I thought that, yeah, if they were... Uh, gonna make me go through another eighty something hours for it. I didn't want to go through that kind of grind, but I'm glad that you know there's an option for me to actually see how it ends. Uh, does does Lightning's sister Sarah figure that prominently into thirteen? Yes, she's the MacGuffin. Okay, yes. is she is she in the game much? Like, do you actually? I know they're rescuing her, but is she actually like a character who like talks and has? much input or is she basically just off having to be rescued? about a million cutscenes with her <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah she's she's in every flashback uh and that was the interesting thing about 13's narrative it gave so many flashbacks to what's lightning's motivation okay how does snow fit into all this okay uh when you find your other two characters that are from the past how do they fit in and sarah for being the the princess peach type MacGuffin through the whole deal uh Everybody's motivations kind of revolve around her. Well, almost everybody's. Uh, they kind of revolve around her. And if I'm not mistaken, she's the protagonist of 13-2? Yes. Or one she, of the protagonists? She, yes, she's definitely the main character, I think. Yeah. Was, oh, so okay. it's Sarah that's the main character? Yep, yep. And she's right, rescuing... As I, She's rescuing lightning. lightning, like if I think it's a turnaround. And, and lightning is very present in the sense that Sarah's always talking about her and there are flashbacks to her. And uh, I don't know much about lightning, but she's like a really cool character. But there's this tension in the game about Sarah trying to get to lightning uh, that I feel is pretty effective. Like it, it's part of why I think at 25 hours where I'm stuck, it's part of why I'm thinking, well, rats, I really want to find out w- w- what's happening there. Because there's this really cool dramatic tension uh, about this character who is away and who you hear a lot about, um, but who you don't hear from. And so I guess that was kind of reversed in 13 and that Sarah was mm-hmm. the person they were trying to track down. Is Lightning the playable character in 13? Like, you play as Lightning? Yeah, she, she's the, yeah, she's the protagonist in it. And see, now I'm really intrigued, because the whole conceit of 13 is that Sarah is this bubbly, borderline, ditzy kind of uh, 
your standard princess in peril type, and lightning is the stoic, super confident, super competent professional. And if thirteen two is reversing that, that actually really intrigues me. It doesn't reverse who they are, Matt, but it's definitely reversing their roles. Like oh, exactly. the description like the of the, the, the bubbly kid sister having to go rescue her, you know, warrior sister sounds really actually like a nice a nice flip on it. And if you're not having to go through the ungodly long tutorial before you get to the real game it sounds like a pretty uh good thing i'll, I'll keep the uh chocobo jump thing in mind though yes oh god oh what does is that from like do you have to ride around chocobos to do special like ex- exploration yes. things oh, for in 13 yeah there's like you have to go through like these weeds and stuff in oh, 13 god. now 12 i don't remember so much but 12 they were more like just uh in, in most Final Fantasy games, chocobos are a transportation mode. You know, some of them can run over water. You need certain like special black chocobo to get to this mystery island that ah. no one knows what it is, and some people do. Well, Matt, uh, you're, of but, course, you're glossing over what chocobos are really good for, and that's uh, racing. No. <laughs> Don't even get me started. When, when I played through Final Fantasy VII that started the chocobo breeding and racing, uh-huh. I... That, that's the first time I had ever actually gone to the internet to find out how do I just get through this crap so I can get to the next stage. I oh, hated yeah, the breeding, so the golden, the black, oh, and all God. that. Oh yes, that was rough. That and diamond and ruby. I mean, uh, emerald and ruby, of course. What's for? Oh, all the all the hidden things there. All weapons. All right. Well, you, you jerks have not made my life any easier because now I'm not sure what to do. So. <laughs> All right, well, you know what? I guess we'll find out next week whether I keep playing yes. uh, Final Fantasy thirteen two or not. Uh, so, All right, well, so let's see. Our games of the week, Minecraft, some awful DLC for uh, Dead Island, and, yeah. uh, and a, a long JRPG from a guy who doesn't normally play them, Final Fantasy thirteen two. So there you go. I would say the winner for this week's game of the week, uh, Matt, I think you took that one, too. Because yeah. both, both Master and I are yeah, both guys, about our choices. Both you guys did like what you picked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, you—that's you've—you've won a twofer, Matt Newt. Congratulations. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. So uh, that's this week's podcast, Matt. Thank you for joining us. Uh, appreciate that, uh, McMaster. Who do we have next week? I'm actually pretty excited about this. Uh, we have Chris Gardner. Who's that? One of the writers of Echo Bazaar. What is Echo Bazaar? Yes, uh, that is something you might not know about. Uh, Echo Bazaar is a awesome online game, or like a, a, a browser game. What? Like a Facebook game? It sounds awful. Is it free to play? Oh, it's free to play. It sounds terrible. Terribly awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we will have Chris Gardner. He's one of the developers from a, a, a group called Fail Better oh. Games, and they've made uh, this – I hesitate to call it a Facebook game because it's not quite that, but it's sort of that. Uh, and he'll be here next week to talk a little bit about that, but more to just uh, join us for News of the Week and um, Game of the Week. Did you try Night Circus? Uh, yeah, so they've also made a game called Night Circus, which is a tie-in with 
I don't know if it's like young adult fiction or a graphic novel or, or something. Yeah, I, I don't know either, but I kind of like Night Circus too. I thought it was cool. Yeah, it's a newer like uh, uh, Echo Bazaar has been around for a couple of years. Night Circus yeah. is a newer game, so it, you can see it's a little cleaner. They've got a, a better look to it. I actually like the artwork in Night Circus a little better. But you know what? We'll talk about that, that next week. So yeah, join us next week, and, and we will talk about this. Will drive people away. A free to play Facebook game. <laughs> <laughs> And then after that, Farmville. (laughs) So, Matt, you barely dodged a bullet there. You almost had us talking about a Facebook game. (laughs) Uh, All right, so I am Tom Chick, and uh, this has been me with Jason McMaster and Matt Newt. We thank you for your time. If you can, boy, would we love it if you would rate us on iTunes and go like quarter to three on Facebook. We love people who do that. So if you are one of those people, we will love you. Quite a bit. Uh, And and otherwise, we will see you back here uh, next week. Thanks for joining us. Shalom.